You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polendo. Have you ever left a meeting or a conversation and wished you could delete something you said? Or maybe wished you could erase the entire interaction? Unfortunately, you and I have to live with the results of our communication. We can't erase it because it's permanent. But wouldn't it be great if there was an erase option? You know, a do-over in conversation until we're satisfied with the results? Recently, a friend told me about her frustration with the permanence of communication. She was trying to get some positive visibility at work, and she tried to get it right three different times. In the first attempt, my friend was in a meeting, and everyone was sharing ideas back and forth. Well, everyone except her. She had some great ideas, but even though there would be occasionally a pause, my friend froze. She was afraid to fill the silence and was flooded with self-doubt. It was a debate in her mind, thinking, if I speak up, will they think it's a stupid idea? So instead of speaking, she engaged in an internal debate with herself, trapped in thoughts of uncertainty and doubt. And then the meeting ended. And my friend counted this as yet another missed opportunity in her career. (sighs) She thought, if only I could rewind that missed opportunity and try again. But what if there was that option? A chance to redo the same meeting and make different decisions this time. What if you could do it? Let's try this a second time. My friend was determined to state some great ideas and get some credit for her work. And when everyone was sharing ideas in the meeting, this time she shared ideas frequently and forcefully. In her view, it went very well. But after the meeting, her supervisor dropped by to give a little feedback, suggesting that she said too much. And it might be better if she used a different tone, because some people feel challenged when she speaks. Wait a minute, she thought. Did the meeting not go well? Now she wasn't sure after the boss's response. Hmm, we might need to try that one more time. In her third attempt, she approached the meeting determined to get it right. Eventually, her supervisor asked, does anyone have any ideas about how to make this project happen quickly? And there was a pause. It seemed like the perfect time for her to shine. So she said, well, I mean, well, I think we can use the reserve funds from the regional district project to solve that. Probably, if anyone agrees, which I'm not sure. And a team member asked, which reserve funds? And she said, oh, sorry, I mean the California reserve funds. Which would probably work, right? I mean, I'm sorry, I don't have my notes. But yeah, I think the California reserve funds would work, unless it wouldn't. And as she heard herself speak, she started to feel less and less in control of the conversation. She felt like she was just an audience member watching the interaction fall apart, thinking, geez, what am I saying? I wish I never spoke up. Later, her supervisor dropped by to give her some additional feedback, encouraging her not to waste too much time getting to her point, and told her just to be more confident, and then followed it up with a story about how he used to get straight to the point when he was early in his career, and that she should try to do that too. Unfortunately, these scenarios are all too common and honestly frustrating for everyone. The tendency is for us to blame individual people for these failures. We narrow our thinking and place blame. This employee should just speak up. 
She shouldn't be so abrasive. And why is she so apologetic? Or you could think on the other side, the boss should give more opportunities to speak or should give better feedback or should be more helpful in meetings. And while it's tempting to dump responsibility on one person, I would argue it's a wrong way to look at this. Too many times we inappropriately place all of the responsibility on one person rather than understanding communication is actually a joint activity. So what does this mean? Well, the dance of visibility is actually a partnership between you and other people. It's something we do jointly during all the parts of our day. We don't just dance on our own. We dance with others. And true competence is adaptive. For decades, researchers in my field have asked this burning question. What makes someone competent in communication? And maybe you've been wondering too. There's thousands of articles online that essentially suggest a one-sided approach, offering advice like, just read people or speak clearly. But competence is not an individual behavior. So if we tell someone to speak up or to be more confident, this is only focusing on one side of the dance. The idea is that simply acting a certain way isn't competence entirely. It's only competence when it's well-coordinated with other people. There are many communication researchers who support this joint definition and believe that competence is achieved when a communicator can select communication behaviors that maintain their image and goals while also doing the same for the people they're interacting with in that situation. I would further argue that when all three of these areas function well, we would have something called strategic alignment. And to be strategically aligned is to be competent. So then the question is, how do you get strategically aligned? How do we do the dance well? Well, there are three areas in the definition, selecting communication behaviors, maintaining image and goals for self, and maintaining image and goals for others. So let's talk about each of these. You could think about all three of these as points on a triangle. Now, the first one is improving our communication behavior selection. The first suggestion is to ask more questions, but don't ask them because that makes you competent. Ask more questions to understand the context so that strategic alignment can occur. Now, we've all heard the research. Men ask more questions at work overall in most every study that we read. But did you know that women tend to ask fewer questions in professional contexts when the stakes are higher? And while women tend to ask more probing questions, men ask more questions about the context. So let's take a page out of that playbook. Asking questions about context can be useful because it outlines the playing field. Contextual questions help to reveal limitations, scope, and other important features. And when you and I understand the context better, we are better at selecting our communication behaviors. Now, all of this is related to the idea of preparation. So we shouldn't just prepare for our meetings. We should prepare for our communication. And that includes writing down spontaneous comments, different ideas, and fleshing them out. Another strategy is to reduce the noise. If competence isn't just one person clearly communicating, then we must look at the system. So try to reduce anything that confuses your listener, such as over-explaining, apologizing, or minimizing speech. And the last suggestion is to collect the data on what does and doesn't work. I've heard people say, I want to deliver my messages without sounding bitchy. I want people to hear my message without being disturbed by the packaging. And if that's the case, we need to collect data and understand what works and what doesn't. The second point on the triangle is maintaining your own image and goals. But that starts with internal work. You and I need to define our values and our voice and decide who we want to be and who we don't want to be. 
Remember, you can't be strategic if you haven't done any work developing your strategy. So part of maintaining our own image and goals is to get familiar with them. And as we manage this area, we're managing the face that we project to the outside world while also trying to complete our goals. And part of that means that we have to get realistic and we have to start taking action. So instead of ruminating about misfires or misbehaviors, instead take action. And when you see instances that don't work in the communication system, develop new strategies to manage your own image and goals. Berger reminds us to refrain from wishful thinking and instead use critical thinking. And as you strive for alignment, be discerning about the feedback you receive. Just because someone's in a powerful position doesn't mean that he or she is effective at delivering feedback. Remember, good feedback is reflective of the context, our joint collaboration. Good feedback makes your world bigger, not smaller. The last point on the triangle is to maintain the image and goals of others. So we collect data about the context so we can support these images and goals of other people. Now, there was a study published in the Harvard Business Review where they examined executives in Fortune 500 companies. They found that men frequently engaged in what they called the pre-meeting. They would arrive early and leave later to meetings. They didn't rush off as frequently as women. And because they didn't rush off, they were able to collect data, make connections, and even test out ideas. So the key is to find out ways to understand the context better and find ways to support people's images and goals. And while it might be tempting to have a list of behaviors that you believe people should enact, remember the dance isn't one-sided. We don't want to produce the same person over and over in our organization or tell people to do it the way I did it. That suggestion doesn't work. As we think about the triangle, in the end, strategic alignment means lining up your behavior with yourself and others. It doesn't mean becoming more like your boss or following a list of competent tactics. It doesn't mean sounding more like a man or more like a woman. It means coordination because once we've studied the context, we can adapt. We can have strategic alignment. But my understanding is if you're not preparing to be in good communication with another person, meaning you're not preparing to be in a healthy dance with someone else, then this is where everything gets lost and confused or mm -hmm. kind of like your example with your friend, you just don't speak up at all or you say too much or your message is confusing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to me that people prepare for meetings, but not for the communication. So they get all ready with their reports, their financials, their this research, that research, and spend very little time planning strategically how the communication will go. So that's sort of where we land on the strategic alignment conversation. We're talking about getting ready to communicate. What does good communication look like? That's what I wanted to break down. We all want to be good communicators. That's the competence you're talking about, right? Yes. To do that, it has to be done with other people. That's the dance. Mm -hmm. It's not dancing alone. I like the imagery. So that's what it's called strategic alignment when we've done the good, competent communication with the other person. Right. Just to clarify a couple of things about that. You heard in the preview this notion that a lot of people characterize it as, oh, you just, you just need to do these behaviors. That's what makes it good. Right. But if you're by yourself in a room just doing those behaviors, is that good communication? <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, there's no right way, right? Like, this isn't about this is the right way to do things. And it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. There's more creativity than that, right? Yeah, it's really about coordination and adaptability at the heart of competence so that I can at any point select behaviors 
and still maintain what I want to do and how I want to be seen and do the same for the, the other person in the room. Okay. I shouldn't be in a situation where I pick my communication behaviors and I'm happy. I've got my good image. I'm getting my goals accomplished and you're screwed. That doesn't make me a good communicator. Here's who doesn't like that definition. People in powerful positions don't like that definition because it gives them some responsibility. Sure. Then they have to adapt. You have to adapt. So you can't just get what you want done. You have to actually help other people accomplish their image management, their face and what they want to accomplish. How do we measure if we've succeeded with this? What's a marker of success for being strategically aligned? But I'm guessing you have to like check in with that other person to know if you're doing this well, is what I'm kind of getting at. I think so. If it's a two-person or multi-person communication dance that you're doing, you'd have to check in with them to see if it's going well for them as well, right? And I like what you're saying there because I think that points to it being a dance with the other party. Let's think about an intimate relationship. We've talked a lot about work, but let's say an intimate relationship. I've got the image that I want to project and I'm getting my goals done and my needs met. To not have the other party's needs met, to not have the other party's goals met, to not have their face maintained would be to miss a whole relationship partner. And so, of course, you're going to check in. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have the three steps on how to do this. And that was select communication behaviors, maintain image goals for self and maintain image and goals for others. Mm -hmm. Can we define what is context? So let's start with the first part of the triangle, which is selecting those communication behaviors and understanding the context so that you can make good selections. You're reading the room. Reading the room or understanding the situation. Okay. And so there's two pieces of data that are pretty prominent across the research. One is that men ask more questions about context than women. They tend to do it. What's going on here? What are the parameters of the budget, of the situation, of the problem, whatever it is? They're looking for scope all the time. Okay. And then the other thing you heard from the Harvard Business Review, which was that study that found men do significantly more pre-meeting work. Yes, I thought that's interesting. Yeah. They come to the meetings early, they hang out, they ask questions, they get a feel for things. And a lot of that article suggests that they're more successful because of that. So when we're thinking about the first part of the triangle, I'd say it really centers on if you don't understand the context, you can't pick the right behaviors that will match. Not that there's right or wrong, but better or worse behaviors because you don't know what's going on. Okay. So you have to understand the context and kind of see what's going on and constantly be collecting information about that context in order to make good selections. You're constantly monitoring big and small aspects of the context. So some of those are microscopic, like a nod or a facial expression, but then you also have macro features of the context, like the situation we're in. We're at a funeral, so we don't say certain things at a funeral. So Taylor would really struggle with building clues for this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But okay, so basically we just do this without even realizing it. You're in a room, you're at a place, you're at a party, you're at a funeral, you're at certain events you're around certain people, you know, to adjust yourself based on that, right? The way you talk at work, probably different than the way you talk at home a little bit. Well, we hope so. Yeah. And the reason we hope so is because we hope you're monitoring the context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the point is competence doesn't stop there. A lot of people define it as that's it. You say the right thing at the right time and you're good to go. That makes mm -hmm. you competent. Okay. And the definition is more than that. 
Okay. If I want to have visibility, if I want to give people in my life visibility, whether that's in a romantic relationship or whether that's in a family or whether that's in at a work meeting, if I want other people to be seen, then I have to coordinate with them. Mm. Okay. So it begins with me understanding what I want to do in that setting, how I want to be seen and what I want to project, and then understanding what the other person's trying to do and helping them coordinate that with me. And those are the other two points on the triangle. That's the image and goals. Yeah. So am I understanding that this is about my success in communication with others in different contexts, as well as looking for the success together? Mm -hmm. The key, I think, is understanding that concept of allowing other people to be seen. My competence doesn't take over the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really competent if everyone else is silenced. Mm -hmm. So what is this tendency for blame in that? So you have the three scenarios that are in the preview. Yeah. When we overexplain, when we don't say enough, when we you know say too much, whatever it is. Sometimes after that, we say, okay, whose fault was that? Mm -hmm. That meeting didn't go well. Hmm. Or we say to the party, you should have spoken up. You should have spoken up. You have a great idea. Why don't you say something? That's on you. If we do that kind of thinking, we're actually threatening the potential alignment that could have occurred where people could be seen, but it's a joint activity. You know, it's easy as the worker to blame the boss and it's easy for the boss to blame the worker. Yeah. I think both have to be seen. Hmm. So is that when you kind of hear people say like, oh, Meredith has a great idea. You kind of lead them there. I mean, you can do that. You also can do pre-work ahead of time. So let's say you have a great idea that I know about, or you mentioned it to me, I'm the supervisor, let's say, and said, I want to bring this up. I'm not sure how. I, as a leader of that meeting, can say, now Taylor wants to talk about her great idea. Okay. And we can arrange that outside of the event and do it in a way that shows that positive visibility in an easier way. Now, some people don't like to be spontaneously managed in that way. So let's say you're feeling hesitant, Meredith, about speaking up. And if I know that as a boss, and I know that you sometimes struggle with that, one of the worst things I can do is say, do you have anything to say, Meredith? Do you have anything to add? Well, that tone, do you have any thoughts at all? <laughs> I know. People do it all the time to each other. Is that on Meredith or is that on me? And I would say it's on us. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a both problem. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways I'm contributing is with that tone and putting you in that position and asking it, even though I know that it's not your preferred method, I'm doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And me also knowing that I have ideas I want to share and not learning how to navigate yeah. the forum that I'm in or yes. the reading my room, that this is the, this is the time and place. Yep. Mm. Okay. With this, I just picture myself in a room dancing alone. What's that song? I want to dance with somebody. So what do we do if uh, no one's joining us in the dance? I mean, we can talk about that notion, but I think, I think that could occur but how I'm talking about this dance of visibility is in context where that can happen. So let's say it's a close relationship or let's say it's a team that does work together. You have to work together when you're on a work team together. Mm -hmm. right. And so you're, you're inherently not dancing alone, but you could be, have you ever had that situation where you're dancing with a partner and it's kind of out of sync the whole time? Yeah, they suck at dancing and I'm great. <laughs> You're amazing at dancing and they're terrible. I have rhythm and they do not. Meredith is yeah. a great dancer. So I don't know so much, Taylor, that it's you're by yourself, but I would say you could feel that way. 
And then what do you do? Check in and say, okay, this is what I'm needing from you. This is what I'm understanding, collecting more data. Well, I think it's that, but it's also doing the pre-work. How do you want to be seen in that romantic relationship? Or how do you want to be seen in that working relationship, whatever context it's in? It's not just saying, here's the behaviors that I want to do. It's also understanding what do I want in this context? How do I want to be seen? And then how do I coordinate that with other people who also want to be seen? I have a question. What are good examples of context questions? Yes. Well, I don't know that questions are the only way to collect the data. You can make observations by watching nonverbal behavior. But you said ask more questions to understand context. I don't even know how to start asking the question. Let's say that we had a a work meeting. Okay, work meeting. And we're trying to understand, is this a context where we're like deciding something? Or are we just brainstorming? We're trying to understand what it is we're doing. Okay. You can ask questions about that and clarify. What is it that we're trying to accomplish today in this meeting? Or maybe ask somebody before that meeting, what is it the meeting designed to be doing? Because when we don't understand the context, we don't know what behaviors to select. So let's say it's really a brainstorming meeting and you somehow don't realize that. That's kind of a problem when you start throwing out idea after idea and everyone's like, what's her problem? Why is she doing that? And you're thinking it's a brainstorming meeting. Why isn't anyone else showing up with ideas? Mm. That's a big misunderstanding of the context. Okay. Is the context similar to finding the goals? It can be. I mean, that's part of the context. That's like, it's like a read the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, but you can also ask questions actively about it, but I'm not saying to ask questions and not make observations. You're doing all those things. Women tend to do it less. Uh Uh-huh. And here's what I think could be behind that. Just my professional kind of guess. They believe they know the context better. Hmm. So that's why they don't ask about it. In a lot of studies, they show women ask more probing questions. So what are probing questions? So that's when something's already been brought up. They'll ask a question about it. Okay. Probing is like a follow-up to an initial comment or question. A probing question would be to clarify that thing. Like dive deeper into it. Yeah. Here's what's different between those two things. Asking or understanding the context is to understand the situation and probing is to understand the idea. Okay. Okay. You said context is the situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. The overall kind of taking a step back Mm -hmm. and get a clearer image of what's happening. Right. And then we know that men tend to go to those pre-meetings as they did in that big Fortune 500 study and found that a lot of men will arrive early and kind of have a cup of coffee and just chat. And what they're doing is they're collecting additional information before the meeting starts about how people's days are going, about what's new with people. And I would say I've done that strategy very often in the classroom. It is extremely helpful. So usually if you found me on a regular day in even my large auditorium class, I would be walking all around asking people, how's it going? What's new? And I find out all kinds of important information. It's kind of like the aim is like to get a more full picture. It's to get additional data so that you have a better sense of the situation you're in. So I'll give you an example of where that plays out in the classroom. I remember one time I was asking people, how's it going? And they said, yeah, great. And talking about football and different things. And then somebody said, so my aunt died over the weekend. And she said, yeah, I'm super devastated. I don't know if I can even stay here. Wow. And I said, okay, I get that. Now that I know that, I can read that situation when she gets up to leave during my lecture totally differently Mm. because of the pre-meeting. The pre-meeting helped me figure that out. 
there's people that don't have much to check in. How's it going? Great. How are you? Great. They don't say much. And then there's other people that say a lot. And it's great information for me to have to understand what's going on here. Do you have a professional guess as to why women don't come early and stay late for those pre and post meetings? So this is in the Fortune 500 environment. So these top corporations, the authors of that study say it's basically because they're hustling to try to get ahead. So they go straight to their office to do more work, to get more done, to try to get ahead because it's so much harder for women. So they don't see themselves having the luxury to hang out and do the context. They are racing to try to get ahead. A lot of them are executives and they're competing with a lot of men. So in that same study, they said every time you sit 15 executives down, at a board meeting, only two on average are women out of the 15. So they talk about this notion that the women are scrambling or hustling to try to get some of the other seats at the table. Which inevitably hurts them. <laughs> yeah, double-edged sword there. Like I said, when I started this, to plan the meeting is different than to plan the communication. They're not the same planning. Hmm. So they're planning on their like career path and their goals and get everything done, but need to plan on what communication will actually make those goals come to fruition. Yeah, that's a good comment. I think we don't want to keep going into the right or wrong area of communication because I don't think we listen to a speech and say that part was wrong, that part was right. Mm -hmm. I think we say things are more and less effective. Okay. And that translates into strategic alignment. Okay. That's, that's a helpful distinction. It's not about do this. This is the right way. And this is the strategy to do it right. It's using tools that are more effective for the place that you're in, the room that you're in, the context. And there's going to be some tools that are more effective in some places than others. Absolutely. There can't be a right way because if I do it this very confident, strong, willed way in room A and it's successful, if I go to room B, that may not work. Yeah. I've heard frequently enough from women that some of their male bosses will say to them, just do it how I do it. Exactly what you just said is why that doesn't work. Hmm. One, I'm not you. And two, each situation I go in is has different demands. I need to do different behaviors in each of the room A, room B, like you described. And so that's a silly thing to say, if you just act more like me, you'll be fine and all that. That's a really good example for even like working with clients, whether you're in sales or some sort of health field or service or whatever, or students as clients, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to redirect yourself, adapt yourself to be able to find success in that dance with that person. Mm -hmm. Cause I can think of some clients that I can be super just straightforward with and that's how they need to hear it. Mm -hmm. And some of them need you to like walk them through every little detail and hold their hand through it. Mm -hmm. And what makes us really competent is not just noticing what adaptations are important, but selecting behaviors and helping other people be visible in those same moments. And when you and I pick behaviors that make that client feel more supported, you have more competence arrived in that moment because things are aligned. I have a context question for you. What is the goal of strategic alignment? Well, the strategic alignment is the coordination of the dance. It's of all three things, the behaviors, me and you. Okay. So the goal is for good communication to happen, authentic communication mm -hmm. to happen. Being adaptive seems like the most important thing here. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're somebody that struggles with like flexibility 
in conversation or struggles with adapting yourself to different situations, then you got to start checking yourself, asking yourself why you were being resistant. And developing some skills to select from. So it's not just no skill development. So that's that first part of the triangle. Then the other point of the triangle is understanding what you want to be and figuring that out and then now coordinating with others. Okay. So it's kind of all of those things. So if you find you have a skill deficit, then building some of those skills. If you find that you have done no pre-work and you aren't sure where you want all this to go or what you want for your career or the relationship you're in or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. then that's some work you need to do. And then the third is to coordinate with others so that everyone can be visible. What we wouldn't call competent communication is somebody having great skill, really portraying themselves and totally dominating so that the other person is invisible. Hmm. And too often, actually, in our society, we'll see that where people will be very dominating and we'll say, wow, they look at all those skills they have. And I would say they do not have the skills because they can't dance with other people. And that's the skill to have. I wrote down here, preparations reduce noise. Basically figure out what I value, get better familiar with me and how I tick in different situations, but be realistic with my goal in those places. Yeah. Like I don't have to become the president, right? but I want to be proud of my voice in the meeting. I don't have to lead every interaction in this friendship, but I want to express myself and my thoughts and my beliefs in a confident way. Yeah. Great. Even if this person disagrees with me Mm -hmm. and then you said, don't ruminate, build new strategies. Yeah. My thing is going to be with this one is not to replay all the failures I have yeah. in these experiences, like your friend, where I just want to control, alt, delete the interaction altogether. Oh, yeah. But I need to just allow the mishap to happen and learn from that how to mm-hmm. be more clear, how to have a strategy that allows my, my image and my goals to. Mm-hmm be more productive in interaction. Yeah. I kind of see the three, like even a step back on just basic how to have healthy relationships. You first have to deal with all the stuff in your life leading up to adulthood. Mm. You're gaining tools. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of that has helped me most in my marriage is all the communication tools I learned in college. And then next step, I have to know myself. So identity, know what I want, my goals, my image, what I'm wanting out of life. And then three, finding the people in my life and supporting them through that, their image and their goals and kind of joining that all together. I like that. In the end, we want the visibility to be joint. So everybody's seen. Right. So that's the challenge. The challenge is for us to let go of this idea that having a perfect set of skills will be the answer to competence. Instead, we have to think about what our skill set is, what we want to accomplish, and how we can help to make ourselves visible while allowing others to be visible too. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.